Acts chapter 16. We read the first five verses last week and did our study there. And um, let's go ahead and read that. We'll start our reading in verse number one and go down to verse 10 or so. So go ahead and stand with me if you would. Paul here on his second missionary journey. Then came he, Paul, to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was pertinent to last week's message, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium, meaning that people knew he had good character, but they also knew he had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And we talked about the subject of deference last week, uh, that the early uh, church in Jerusalem decided that, you know, all required to be saved was an act of grace by the Lord through Jesus Christ, but that deference should be shown from Jews to Greeks and Greeks to Jews. And so we spent our time last week on that subject. Verse 4, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and the orders which were at Jerusalem. And we talked about the Jerusalem Council and those things I just uh, said. And so, verse 5, And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, our text for tonight, verse 6 through 10. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed or endeavored to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia. Now that's the region that we would know today as Greece. And prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and this time around your word. Lord, I, I pray you'd guide us in our study tonight. I pray that the scriptures would. Uh, because the study had more meaning, uh, we'd have insight into these early journeys that impacted, Lord, uh, that region, and then, Lord, Europe, and then, Lord, coming to us. And so, Lord, help us out of appreciation for the way that you work then for our benefit today. And then, Lord, help us to find application. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Well, it's been stated, Paul... And his companions are now fully engaged in what we commonly call Paul's second missionary uh, journey. This was an effort born out of his desire, Paul, to revisit and strengthen the churches that were established during his first missionary journey. Um, that was probably, I don't know the exact number of years, um, a number of years before this second journey, Paul had traveled along with Barnabas. Um, originally with John Mark, and then after his abdication, the two of them went on to these regions that we'll study and study last week, started these churches. Paul came back, reported to Antioch in Jerusalem, and now after some years of ministering in Antioch, Paul decides to go back, and we studied how that he and Barnabas chose to go different directions, and Paul chose Silas and Barnabas 
trying to reestablish the faith that John Mark took him. And so these two, this man, Paul, had received instruction and guidance from the church in Jerusalem that, in fact, the Greeks, the, the pagans, can be saved by grace alone. They don't need to practice a Jewish religion. So they affirmed that salvation comes from grace alone and that rich, Jewish ritual is no longer required. But showing deference was something they could do. And primarily the idea was this. Greeks were getting saved. Pagans were getting saved. But they still had these things they did, and they would eat meat, sacrifice to idols. They thought nothing of it. But the Jews saw it as offensive. And, and so the thought is here, hey, don't you new believers um, that this Grecian influence, don't do that because that offends the Jews who are now brothers in Christ, these Jewish believers. And, and, and by the way, you need to stop the pagan immorality you're involved in. And so that's this letter that's referred to here numbers of times in the text last week, in the text this week. And so Paul has this letter in hand and, and, and the Lord touches his heart to go on in the second journey. And so he does. But this time he travels with Silas. And as we discovered last week, he uh, took Timothy with, with him. And so when he met Timothy again uh, in the regions of Iconium, um, his mother and grandmother who were saved and probably watched Paul be stoned, allowed Timothy to go. Timothy, knowing the danger he was in, uh, decided to go. And so now Paul has him as a companion. And so the three of them now are traveling on. Um, let's go ahead, Paul, show me that first slide. Just a way of review real quick. Okay, that's not good. And so Paul starts his second missionary journey over here on the right-hand side in the middle in Antioch. He had gone to Jerusalem at the first journey, gave the report, have come back to Antioch. Him and Barnabas served there together for a while. God calls him. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have this discussion. They go separate ways. Barnabas and Mark would go back over to Cyprus again, and that would be their part. But uh, Paul's going back. And so instead of sailing to Cyprus and then on up to Derby as he did on the first missionary journey, Paul takes a long way around up through Syria and into these regions that are today we call Turkey. So he travels back up through Sicilia and back here in these regions of Derby, Iconium, and Lystra. This is where he met John, uh, where he met Timothy, and Timothy was called. And, and they are now, Paul spends some time there with Timothy establishing these churches along with Silas, they're strengthening them. And somewhere in that time, when they're just, you know, reestablishing the church he went to last year, I want you to look with me in verse number 10. And there's something sort of inserted there rather inconspicuously. And it says, and after he had seen the vision, immediately, now the next word there is what? It's we. Now this is the first time there's a we in Paul's travels. So <clears throat> we know that the author of the book of Acts was Luke. Okay, uh, Luke, of course, has a gospel by his name. But Luke, we know from numbers of texts, became the companion of the Apostle Paul in his journeys. So for the first time, Luke includes and inserts himself as a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Um, I don't know when he first met Luke. He could have met Luke when he was in this region of Iconium in his first journey. He could have met him on this second journey. Um, my guess is he met him on the first. Bible doesn't say. But he now joins Paul and Silas and Timothy. And we know this from Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that Luke was a physician. And he was the beloved physician. 
And so we, we know that from the book of Colossians. And he may have joined the group, not just for his faith, but for his profession in being a doctor. And I think this is somewhat important. We know that in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul speaks here of his infirmities. And Paul made a point several times that he ministered despite his infirmities, and he did that in Galatians 4.13. But we also know the case of Paul having a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, most people think that was a physical ailment of some kind, all kinds of speculation from eye problems to some form of gout. We don't know. It doesn't really have any merit to speculate. But we know that multiple times Paul's poor health is mentioned. And not just that, Timothy was a young man who wasn't overly healthy either. Um, he was referred to a number of times as having stomach problems. And in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul uh, advises Timothy to no longer drink water, but to drink a little wine for thy often or frequent infirmities. And in that day, the wine would have had medicinal properties uh, that would have served to kill bacteria in the gut that may have been ill affecting him. And so, you know, this is not necessarily a team that's really healthy. But despite it, they're traveling. And so you have Paul who has infirmities. You have Timothy have, who has infirmities. There's probably a larger contingency beside the, you know, the, the, the three or now four. And so um, Luke probably signed on in part to be the team physician and to be a help to these men. I don't know that, but I know he served that purpose and role while he was a companion to the Apostle Paul. So now we have these four men uh, accompanied, again, probably by a larger contingency of people who were held. Now, they had just revisited the cities of Paul's first journey, which is said in verse 5. And now they're continuing on through the larger uh, region of Galatia and Phrygia. And so, guys, uh, Paul, go back to that first slide again. Okay. Um, and I'm sorry for the guys on this side. It's just easier for me to stay on this side. So, um, rounding the corner there of the Mediterranean... They're headed towards the Aegean Sea, which is that part that goes up like that. So now they're in Iconium, in Lystra, uh, that Poseidon uh, Antioch, uh, Antioch there. And so they continue, the Bible's not specific, but they continue, there we see number three, in the regions of Phrygia, and they minister in the uh, regions of Galatia over there. And so they do that, and now they, they're finished with that, and they're they're headed off to some, some new territory. Now, let's look in verse uh, five, 6 again to see how they do this. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia in the region of Galatia, um, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Okay. Now, we think about Asia being the Orient. That was not the case here. And um, I think this slide says Asia. Yeah, see uh, in, in the uh, number 6. See number six there? To the right, you see the big word Asia there. And that's sort of the coast. That region of what is now modern-day Turkey would have been called Asia there. So what I want you to do is find number three. And so these men have finished the ministry here. So they're headed into this region of Asia. Um, Mysia, which is mentioned there, is a part of that. And we don't know how this happens. We, we do can surmise the why in time. But they're headed to Asia. My guess is what they were going to do 
is they were going to go ahead and establish these churches in Ephesus, in Thyatira, and these places that we would know. As a matter of fact, I think I had these written down. The region of Asia contains these churches, uh, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Ephesus, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Does that list sound familiar to you? And this is a list of churches we see in Revelations 2 and 3. And so we know this, that Paul did establish churches there, not on this journey, but on his third. For whatever reason, God says, not now. Later, now Paul didn't know it would be later, but God says, not now. And the Bible says, I want you, the Holy Spirit, in some way, um, speaks to Paul that he gets the understanding that he is not to minister in Asia. Don't speak there. And so Paul says, okay, well, I'm going to go over to Mysia. And the Lord says, no. And so uh, we, we see this two times. The, the Apostle Paul is told by the Holy Spirit not to do it. Now, the first word is used, used here is the word forbidden of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Greek, this word means forbidden. But we could use this word, too. These are, these are other, um, like in a dictionary, a larger definition of forbidden. He was prevented. He was not permitted. Um, he was cut off. Um, something stood in the way. These are all ways of understanding this word forbidden. So I don't know what that means. Paul understood it. It could mean this. There were circumstances that were foreboding and limiting enough that Paul saw them as God's um, will not to go do that. It could have been government. It could have been military. It could have been any number of things. It could have been God speaking to his heart through the spirit. It could have been a in those days, they still had uh, some prophetic utterances. So maybe in one of these churches they went to, some guy stood up and says, the Holy Spirit says, don't do this. We don't know what the mechanism was. We just know this. Paul got the message. He was forbidden. And then again, he tries to go to Mysia and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, it's in the next few verses here, says the same thing. Uh, don't go there. Um, the obstacle could have been something or, you know, like Balaam's donkey. It could have been God himself saying, you know, with an angel, I don't want you going here or speaking here yet. Um, the second word here of suffer them not has the idea of this, uh, you could do it, but maybe to your harm. Or like, so, so maybe God was saying this, if you do this now, if you try to start these churches in Asia now, you know, for all we know, that could have been the death of Paul. And there was, there, there's, there's that kind of connotation to the word suffered not. Kind of permitted, but you ought not. And so Paul was sensitive enough to say, if God says I ought not, I'm not going to do it. So there's this kind of color to these words, but the idea is Paul uh, knew that he should not do these things. Um, again, it could have been a vision like was to come. We just don't know. My clearest thought is this. In some way, Paul was prevented from going because of some unavoidable obstacle that very well could have been just God himself. We don't know. Paul saw this as maybe the circumstances of the sovereignty of God, but he didn't go. So again, they pressed on to Mysia. And then he, he, the Bible says he, he thought about going to Bithynia up here, and you see that to the north. Uh, and so Paul's trying to go all these directions. Well, Bithynia would have been a region where there have been major Greek cities. Um, 
And within those major Greek cities would have been large populations uh, of Jewish people. And so it makes sense. I'm on this side of the GNC. I've, I've, I've preached in, you know, Sicilia, Cappadocia, Galatia, and, and, and uh, these areas. So, you know, going on to Asia makes sense. God said, no, I'll go to Bithynia. God said, don't do that. And so then all of a sudden, um, when Paul says, well, I don't know where else to go, so he goes to Troas. And Troas there is along the coast of the Aegean Sea, and uh, it's a port city. And so, you know, it's like this. Paul went the direction he knew to go, and he tried to go south. God said no. He tried to go north. God said no. Well, I can just keep going this way, but I can't speak here in Asia, so I'll just keep going. And he's now in Troas. And like, well, I've come as far as I can go. And then it was there that the Bible says that Paul received a vision. Um, maybe in a dream, but he receives a vision in the night. And there's a man of Macedonia across the, the uh, Aegean part of the sea there and says, come help us. And then Paul goes, now that's pretty clear and unmistakable. I'm going to go do that. And he was a wise man uh, to do that. And uh, that's, that's a big deal. Because now we're going for the first time into really sort of a, a new people group. And we know this, that Paul took that ship across from Troas uh, over there to Philippi. And on that side, among other churches, no doubt, he started the Philippian church, the church at Thessalonica, and the Corinthian church. We know in the Thessalonica church, Paul thanks God for them because from them the gospel sounded out to the regions beyond. The Macedonian, I'm sorry, the, the Philippian church became the church that probably was most largely responsible for to continuing to support the Apostle Paul the remainder of his life. And of course, the Corinthian church exists just to give us a negative example of not what to do. So they all, they all served a purpose. But the thought is, you know, what I want us to understand, and I've said this many times in my preaching, um, we owe in many ways not just our spiritual heritage to what Paul did, but the Philippian church, who serves as an incredible example in the New Testament. They did also to, to the Corinthian church, but from them and the Thessalonians came the gospel further um, west into Europe, and then, of course, eventually to us. And so that's the setting and the context, the, 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 the travel. So God, you can take that down now. And if you want to see those, you can go online and find these pictures uh, you know, really easily. So a couple of thoughts for application tonight that I want us to see from this text. And these are obvious. And number one is this, is that God was active in guiding and giving Paul direction. Um, that sounds like, well, of course. Well, yes, we say of course. But if we think about application, you and I should be thinking that God is also probably active in guiding and directing our life if we would allow him to. But here, it's very clear that God was active in guiding and giving direction to the Apostle Paul and his team. Three times on this second missionary journey, Paul um, was directed by the direct spiritual intervention of God guiding um, their expedition. And God's intervention was this, two no's and one yes. No, no, and a yes. 
go do that. There's probably a little bit of a sub-lesson here is God's will is sometimes often found in the no as much as the yes. It's easy for us to get discouraged when we pray and we get nothing or a no. And sometimes in not being patient, we abandon an effort prematurely. And we knew this from time. Paul could not do what God said on what, no on this time. But on the third journey, Paul went to all these places. You know, sometimes God doesn't say no to discourage us, but God may say no to grow us. But God could be saying no to protect us. God could be saying no because the time's not right for either you and or the people you're going to to be re ready for the message. I just think in life, we, we sometimes grow discouraged and we get maybe wearying to pray for something because we have no's or we've heard nothing. Uh, closed doors and frustrated efforts are not always an indication that something we want is a mistake and or wrong. It may be, but sometimes it just may be and not yet. It may be this, you're not ready. And you need another year or two to, to do what you're wanting to do. Or it may be if you went to that now, you would hurt yourself and other people. And so we don't know why sometimes God says no, but we know this, He directs us through no sometimes. Um, he maybe wants us to consider another option. And again, Paul would go back. But the larger point is God directed Paul and God desires and does direct our life as well. Now, th this, is, this is important to consider. The Christian life is often a delicate balance of strategic human planning and spiritual sensitivity. The Bible indicates that we should be engaged in both. In other words, there are parameters in which we can operate in our free will um, safely in the will of God. Um, you know, we, we, we maybe could go this far in this direction and this far in this direction. We can choose some things. And there's great wisdom, the Bible says, in spending time in preparation and planning. Preparation and planning as principles. Um, are spoken to us as acts of wisdom in the Word of God in a replete way. Maybe a way to talk about this balance would be uh, Proverbs 69. A man's heart devises his ways. He plans his ways. But the Lord directeth his steps. Somehow in, in what we're doing, God is involved in all that, even our free will. And so planning and pr preparation are two things that Christians need to do. Um, in Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, uh, there's this parable about building a tower. And one of the things that God says before you do that, He says, plan. That's not how He says it, but that's what He's saying. He says, count the cost. In other words, do some preparation. How much time is this going to take me? What's the expense going to be? Uh, this is going to be hard. I need to be ready for it. In other words, the Lord is commending us in life. We need to plan. There is Wisdom and planning for your financial future. A whole lot of life has to be lived by faith. And if God asks you to surrender your life savings, you should be willing to do it. But if you're otherwise being a good steward and you're generous in your giving and you're involved in the work of the Lord, there's some wisdom in planning for a future day. There's wisdom in planning for a business or wisdom in planning in what you're going to do with your life and how you're going to live it. There's great wisdom there in planning and part of the Christian life is meant to be planned that way. 
But planning has its limits when God says no. Right? And so if we're walking with the Lord and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and, and, and maybe, we're, maybe we're saving too much, maybe not enough, or maybe we're intent on doing this thing, and, um, you know, it's, it's not that it's wrong, whatever else, but God says, no, I don't want you to do that. Or I want you to go over here. Or I want you to minister to that person. Or I want you to be personally willing to alter your plans. You know, when God came to my life after 10 years of education, in, in public education, he, I had a plan. You can ask Terry, oh, I had a plan. 10 years of education, I wanted to be an administrator, I wanted to become a professor. Like I had my life planned. And then God said no. And, you know, if you'd ask me now, you know, how do you say no? That's a, that's a little, I don't know. It was a sense I had inside. It was this, under, this thought if I, if I didn't surrender what God said, I'd be miserable. I'd have regrets my whole life. I can't explain it. It was unmistakable that God spoke to me. And 25 years later, I still have that strong sense. I had a plan. I don't think my plan was wrong. I think I could have made a difference in education, which I was trying to do at the time, for 35 more years. But God says, I, I have something else for you. You know, I think from young person to senior saint, God may come to you at some time and say, I don't want you that anymore. I don't want this. Not right, not left, but I want this. Or maybe it's not straight anymore. I want you to make a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn. I wish I could tell you how the mechanics of that work better. It just happens. And you need to be sensitive to that. Um, Paul, for the most part, planned his trip. That's why he didn't want John Mark to go back. Like, I can't plan my trip with this guy. But on this occasion, God intervened with a different direction uh, for Paul to travel. Um, you know, I, I, I think, again, when I talk about the will of God, um, I, I, this idea of the perfect will of God to me can feel really constraining the way it's preached sometimes. I think living according to this book is the will of God. I think this is the will of God. I think what God says here, the way to live morally, ethically, in the church, with people, I think the will of God is in this book. And we have some fairly broad parameters of how we can live that. And I think there are times, not all the time, um, Paul went where he wanted to a lot without any commentary on God saying don't or yes. Paul was, was making choices based on his planning and wisdom, but when God said do something different, he did. And so I think in our life, as long as we're living according to this will and not violating it, we have a lot of choices. But I, I'm going to say again, when God speaks to us about a specific direction, direction then we need to be willing to surrender that. You may choose to degree whether you want to live in Broken Arrow, Owasso, or Jinx, or Tulsa. Okay? I don't know that you have to make that overly spiritual. Spending three weeks in fasting and prayer, you can do it. I don't know that it's implied we should do that in the Word of God. Okay? I'm going to live in the Tulsa area. God may say, I do want you to live in a specific area, and He may impress that upon you. But I'm just saying that we have some freedom there. But then again, um, as long as you are um, following his revealed will, you're going to church, you're being faithful, you're giving, you're exercising your spiritual gifts, you're being a servant, you're living morally and ethically, you're being salt and light, there's probably a number of places you can do that. 
But God may say, I want you to do all of that in a foreign country as a missionary. And he obviously does that with people. I want you to do that as a pastor of a church. I want you to do that in this company. Okay? If you're doing these other things, then I think we're pretty safe. But if God says something specific, then we should do that. Um, a second thought is this. Be and do what you know to do so God can more easily direct you in specific directions. Said another way, make sure you are living in such a way that God can bless and direct you. Okay, this again, Captain Obvious. What was Paul doing before God gave specific direction? Well, he was already serving God. See, that's a nuance that you've got to pay attention to. So, Paul had called, uh, God had called Paul to be an apostle. He was supposed to be an evangelist. Um, so, Paul said, okay, um, I, I'm going to do this. And so, I'm going to preach in Jerusalem. And he went and did it in Antioch. And then God gave him a specific direction to go uh, uh, north. And so, he, he just, well, let's go to Crete. And, and let's go up into this parts of Asia Minor. And so, he does. And he continued to do that. And we don't see more specific direction or divine revelation other than Paul was serving God, doing what he knew for God. He was in the will of God in a very general way. And so Paul was in a place where God could say, hey, you're serving me. You're surrendered to me. You're doing what's right. Okay, now while you're in motion, just fear left. I think many of us would like to see God more active in our life. Man, I want to see God move in some way. I, I wish God would direct me more. Well, 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 maybe there's more general, um, non-specific God's will that you should be involved in. How about this? Are you surrendered? If God spoke to you, would you surrender? Are you liberal with your finances? Are you doing what you can here at Eastland Baptist Church? Because if you're not doing what you can here, God's probably not going to call you to be inactive someplace else. Does that, does that make sense? I told my kids this all they're growing up. Put yourself in a place that God can bless you. He can choose to do it regardless. He's sovereign. He does what he wants to. But God operates and speaks to those who have soft hearts, um, who have, uh, you know, they don't have fallow ground that's been plowed up, and they're already serving God. We've had guys here uh, go to Bible college and do different things, and they, they come here, and then it's like, okay, what's next? And nothing's immediately obvious. And then, you know, it's easy to fret about it or worry about it. And I, and I, and I say to these guys, God knows where you're at. Your only obligation is to listen, not force it. So how about you stay here, and you serve, and, and you do what you need to do, and, there, and, and yes, you can, you can explore, do whatever you want to, but you bloom where you're planted, and almost inevitably, people who did that, who had a desire to serve God in a different way, then they found that. But I am persuaded they would not have found it if they had come here, and they may have been unhappy, and or bitter, or even, and I've even seen this, people who force something only to fail. They went to Asia too soon. And it didn't turn out very well. 
And, and, and so often we see God's inactivity as something he's not doing when it's often something that we're not doing. And then number three, God can speak to us in a variety of ways. We just need to learn to listen. I don't know the two ways specifically um, that God said no to Paul. I've tried to highlight that a little bit. But, but God spoke and Paul heard. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 12 and 13, God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. That may have been exactly what was happening here on these two occasions that God said no. Something inner, something quiet. But I, I want to tell you this, in the world we live in, at the pace we live it, with the crowded schedules, you, if you don't have time for God's still, still small voice, you may miss it. We run to and fro, we're always busy, we're always active, and so we're often missing these quiet devotional times with God. We're not reading our Bible. We don't spend quiet time in prayer. I mean, you know, God can do this. He can hold up a, a big sign. He can send a donkey. He can send an angel to capture your attention. I just think those things are, are very unique. God may have a lot He wants to say to us if we would listen. And there may be more yeses and noes in our life than we realize if we stopped and listened. Now, at the pace the Apostle Paul lived, I know life was, was busy, but the culture then would have afforded him to, to probably be more in tuned to the still small voice. Modernity has its pluses, and modernity has a host of negatives. And we, we live in a cacophony of noise. And I think God, you know, the, the deep that calls to deep, well, sometimes we're not deep, we're superficial. But Paul had an abiding relationship with the Lord. His heart was soft. He spent time in prayer. And God spoke to his heart. And that maybe what we're seeing in the text. Maybe Paul felt a check. I'm going here. And then God says, I wouldn't. I can't explain that. Tenth year of being an educator, eleventh year coming, and God says, I wouldn't. <laughs> okay. You know, um, if we're honest, we may have more checks in our life than we want to admit that we have violated. Um, I know the wrong audience here. They're down there, but I wouldn't marry that girl. I might pass on that guy. I'm not sure that's the right environment for you to go work in. You with me? Yes, See, we probably rush through a lot of checks because we don't like the no. And maybe we, sometimes we don't like the go. You know, cross, you know, cross that little ocean there. Well, that's tough. Well, that's work. That's not what I was expecting. I was headed to Bithynia, and you want me to go to Macedonia? I, I think maybe there are more times in our life that God's trying to provide direction through maybe a check or something that we do not listen to. I would say this for sure. God affirms his will once again through his word. It is a light, it is a lamp, it is a guide for life. There is more will of God in here then you will digest in your lifetime. 
and maybe we should spend more time trying to figure this out than whether I should turn left to 71st or not. And that's being silly. But I've heard people talk to me, forgive me, about the silliest things that they should or shouldn't do. And I'm thinking, you don't even come to church on Sunday night. I'm not trying to make that spiritual, but, you know, well, all these things I want to do, but they don't tithe. Um, you want to go serve God, but you're not even nice. You with me? I'm not telling you these specifics aren't important, but we, could, we, would, we would help ourselves by trying to major on the simpler things in life. And then my contention is, if we worked on that, we'd probably hear a whole lot more yes and no's, stop and goes, than we would in, in trying to discern that when we're not living for the Lord. God speaks to us in His Word through principle and precept. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, speaks to us as we read His Word. God's Word, and especially as he said to Joshua, when you meditate on it, when you think about what I have said, you know, um, the old cliche, you know, a sermon's not over when the, ser when the preacher stops preaching. It's over when you stop thinking about it. And then I gotta, I gotta quit. I think we need to be careful um, about this idea of open and closed doors. There's a lot about, you know, I hear a lot about that. God opens and closed doors. It's here. But God was involved in it in a way that was unmistakable to Paul. Life presents to all of us a thousand opportunities, and not all of them are obligation. Because someone offers you a job in North Carolina, that doesn't mean you should go. I'm not telling you you shouldn't. I'm just telling you that's something I probably would pray about if you're already ingrained and involved in a church family. I wouldn't let the dollar determine where you work. Amen. I'm not saying you, you sh that you can't. I'm just saying there's a host of other considerations that need to be factored into open doors. You know, because you, someone's willing to date you doesn't mean you should marry them. You know, um, <laughs> we need to be careful. Again, bloom where you're planted. Do what you should. Serve, help, give. You know, um, don't violate our principles. And then if an opportunity presents itself, pray about it. Spend time in God's word. Pray. Listen for the, the small, still voice. And, and I would add this. The Bible says there's another way of discerning God's will. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. Now, I say this, 25 years of ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've been notified of a major decision after the fact. Well, I think God wants me to do this. And I often say, says who? People hate for you to question their spirituality. Because if God said it, he said it. And I want to tell you, be careful, because that's close to blasphemy if he didn't say it. To ascribe something to the voice of God that he didn't say, if that's not blasphemy, I don't know what is. Be careful inserting God into what you want to do if he didn't say it. And that's another hobby horse of mine. And that comes with my position when you see people say, well, God led me here. And I'm thinking there was 10 people here who all think that's a bad idea, who are all good Christians. And maybe God presented himself to you in that way. I'm just telling you, I've rarely seen it. I've almost never seen someone defy an audience of people who love them and care about them, say don't, and they did, and it was really God's will. Amen. At least it didn't prove that to be that way. Um, 
You, you won't always have someone maybe applauding hard decisions, and I just digress. But we need to be careful. Not every open door is one unless God opened it. And then I'm going to add this. I, I talked about this idea of open and closed doors and the way God direct Paul, but there's something I want you not to make sure you don't do. Because something is hard and difficult, don't assume that is a closed door. Now I'm on the other side of the fence here. Were every one of the Apostle Paul's journeys hard? They were hard. Did Paul feel like he was out of the will of God when he got stoned? He didn't. When he was shipwrecked, oh, that's a sign. I can't, I can't do this anymore. God doesn't want me to cross the sea. Paul knew he was going to shipwreck. He stayed on the boat. Because something is hard does not necessarily, on the other side, mean it's a closed door. Okay? There are some contemporary Christianities who are allergic to difficulty. I want you to be careful here. If, you, if the Lord calls you to be a missionary, I want to assure you it will be hard. He calls you to leave home and family. That will be hard. Um, so I just want you to balance this. If you want an equation, I can't give it to you. But because an opportunity is there doesn't mean you have to take it. Because something's hard doesn't mean you, sh you shouldn't do it. It just means this all the more. You need to make sure you're in God's word. You're spending time in prayer. You get counsel from sound people who love you and love the Lord. And then pray for discernment. Um, so, in summary, as I just said, don't be thwarted by difficulty. Don't feel obligated to walk through every open door. Don't assume a closed door now means that you can't do something at a later time. Please be in a place where God can bless you. Listen to God more. Don't violate the checks in your heart. And uh, seek counsel. All right? Knowing sometimes these more specific elements of God's will is hard, but it'll always be worth the effort to work through it. Okay? It'll be worth it. Let me ask you to stand tonight. We'll stop there.